podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello! Welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. It is time once more to assemble the quartet. Those for whom time is but a face on the water. Thank you, Cy. That is right. It is time for another quarterly king. A special sit down every 25 episodes or so meant to celebrate our own Roland DeShane, Uncle Stevie himself, Stephen King. I am one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. Typically with me is Elvis's number one fan, Reed Lackey, and he was here a minute ago, but he said he needed to run out to the new store for a few minutes. I'm sure he'll be back. In the meantime... I wish to welcome back to the show Fog Royalty and Pod Pals, a couple of quarterly kings, sound off kings. Welcome, Blake Collier. Hey there. How's it going? It's it's going well, friend. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to see you. I'm glad to have this conversation with you. Welcome, Ian Olson. (laughs) Yeah. Typically with them is Andy Whitfield, but Andy was unable to join us tonight. Um, I would say to him and I will say to you boys, it is always a gift and a pleasure to see your smiling faces and a joy to welcome you back to the show. Uh, Blake, do me a quick favor and figure out why Ian has that cooler strapped to his bicycle while I remind listeners that here at the fear of God, we explore. We don't explain except for right now. When I explain that you can find all things foggy at the fear of God podcast.com, things such as, and especially how to support us on Patreon, being a patron that's you so much longer episodes, bonus episodes, special hangouts with us and other foggers. You really ought to gift yourself a patron membership this holiday season. Also on the website, you'll be able to get fog swag like t-shirts with your boy's face on it. Uh, you'll find an archive of episodes in both chronological and alphabetical order. That's great. Um, The absolute, unquestionably most significant thing, however, on the website, the most important thing to be discovered there is what, wait a minute, who is this glowing like he just left Graceland? It's really lucky. Well, well, let me tell you, let me tell you something. I'm here. I'm going to talk about some needful things and I'm ready for this conversation. Let me tell you, I am, I am uh, just, I got all of i'm all shook up okay that's another thing i'm i'm here to when I'm here. when when did elvis come from louisiana 
I'm feeling I'm always from Louisiana. That's uh, been a long disputed uh, factoid about my life. And so I just, you know, I said, you know what? Uh, I am, uh, I'm going to try to do this Memphis thing, but uh, really, I, I can't do this all episode. <laughs> I just abandoned shit halfway through. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> we were all praying that was the case. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> yes. mm. um, everybody. Couple of kings are here. How you doing? They're all right. That's about right. <laughs> That's, that's, they that's, they just that. came from the answer. new store. Yeah. I'm vertical. <laughs> okay, I feel that answer. I feel like you know what, man. Uh, I hear that. Well, listen. Um, okay, I actually I'm very excited to be here. I'm very excited to talk about this book. Very excited to talk about the film. Uh, what we're going to be covering, listeners, in case you didn't couldn't tell from the title of the episode uh, is that we are going to be talking about Stephen King's novel from 1991 entitled Needful Things Build Right on the Dust Jacket as the last Castle Rock story. We are also going to be talking about the Fraser Heston, Fraser C. Heston film from 1993 uh, of the same name, Needful Things. And uh, where possible, we are going to be talking about the, we'll give a little bit of context for this, the TBS miniseries, uh, of the same production, also directed by Fraser Heston, uh, that is three hours long and was recently remastered and released on a very, very nice Kino Lorber uh, Blu-ray edition. So <laughs> that's what we are here. Kino Lorber. I know. I know. The, <laughs> it I mean, like I, I mean, all like power to your read because on a, yes. on a good day, I can't say that name. So well, yes, that, was, so. that was a thing. <laughs> yes. That just happened. The uh, Carter Lorber. I thought you'd jump back into Elvis real quick. Heartbreak Hotel and the Kino uh, Lorber. <laughs> In the Kino Lorber. Um, so, bas <laughs> so basically, um, we're here to talk mm. about this book. Um, I want to just kind of kick things off because a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, we have, again, every 25 episodes or so, sometimes Nathan and I come to Andy and Blake and Ian with a set criteria of saying, hey, here is what we're going to do. Uh, this time around, we kind of proposed something and then opened it up for discussion, debate, and kind of tinkering around. And after some options were thrown out, whittled down and disagreed with and promoted, we finally landed on Needful Things, largely because I think, Blake, you said you had never read it before. So I'm actually going to start with you. Question on the table is, what was your personal history with this story? Had you read it before? Had you seen the movie before? What, if anything, had you been acquainted with before? And Blake, I'm going to start with you. Share with us uh, your experience with Needful Things. Yes. No. No. Yes. Yes. No. No, hmm. no, no, no. R totally no. wrong order. Uh, <laughs> Nailed it. No, that was so, that was great radio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I I have a vague recollection of seeing the movie uh, when I was oh, younger. Okay. That's that's all I had going for it. Like in the past, Definitely like for some, whatever reason, impressions of the Needful Things yeah. movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah i I don't know why it stuck with me. Um, I don't, maybe it's just I generally like Ed Harris, and maybe just the fact that he Excellent. was in a movie made me think about that. I I don't know, but whatever it was, uh, the the conceit of it has stuck with me, and I was like, well, give it a shot. Never read the book. Let's get let's go for it. So 
if I'd known at the time how long it was going to be, I might have backed away from it a little bit. But <laughs> yeah, uh, it's lengthy. Yeah, it's so. But yeah, that I mean, I really don't have a great story from my background. It was some vague, <laughs> vague right. memory of the movie. About much of anything. <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, that too. I don't well, know. I think you... And I think you had not read it before. And to your point, uh, it is uh, this is a random, stupid piece of trivia for me to know. But as of you know, twenty twenty three, November in twenty twenty three, by word count, not necessarily page count, but by word count, it is his tenth longest novel. It's so it's in the top ten of like some Holy of his crap. longest work. Yeah, there's nine books longer than this one. <laughs> so uh, yes, by word count. Um, so, but real quick before I move on to anybody else, uh, <laughs> broad, broad speaking, do you, oh, what do you think? Okay, read, read, hold, hold off. Yeah. You, you have a spreadsheet, don't you? Like you, yeah. you, you count the words <laughs> on every novel. Yeah. It is the 10th like, longest no, book with two words no. in its title. This is what I, no, no, this is literally the, that factoid <laughs> is literally emerged from some random Buzzfeed article that said, what are Stephen King's 10 longest novels? And then it, it determines that by word like count. So, oh, that's fine. I mean, if you want to look it up, it's on my website. <laughs> <laughs> Just no, um, but uh, but no, sincerely. So, what do you think about the book? Uh, I started out really liking it a lot. Uh, I even the first few, probably hundred to two hundred pages. I mean, I was even like, oh, this prose is like really solid. Like, am I? I've never really been a huge king fan when it comes to his prose and so i was like okay uh i'm i'm on board with this but as as it kind of drew on i i lost that loving feeling um no sure i found i found that it needed to be shorter uh the characters kind of slipped into some i would say classic king cliches and then the ending did nothing for me and I really thought that the conceit of the book needed something really interesting. And it's it's the same thing with like, you know, it and other books of his that that like he has really strong ideas and he never really gets at the thing that I find is most fascinating about him. Uh and so mm-hmm. yeah, I I I ended up not really liking it all that much. Uh, mm-hmm. but I would okay. still take it over some of the other ones of <laughs> friends, including uh, Kujo. Like- without heard without <laughs> going too hard into alternate paths here for you when you say didn't like the ending is it like like literally the the sort of white magic aspect of it or like do you mean something more broadly than that specific uh it just it, it felt like a very easy ending to have like in the showdown basically sure, i'm like yeah, actually yeah. personally i would have liked for like town to just have killed themselves and it just like disappeared off the map as the last castle rock tale sure it would have been mm-hmm. cool to just like have it be really depressing and just like let it play itself out <laughs> yeah so do you mind if i jump in reed yeah uh, no that? i was gonna say hey. since you're talking yeah go ahead mm-hmm. yeah. so what's funny is like in a lot of ways i don't um disagree with some of your notes there blake i i, I for me i listened to the audiobook completely. I did not read the prose whatsoever. And um I, I kind of had a uh a, a complimentary though dissimilar take, which is to say its first third I found a bit more mm-hmm. um 
hard to get into is the wrong way to phrase it. I'll, I'll, I'll jump to the end and then, and then fill in some gaps here. So with the exception of some of its kingisms, a la a, an abrupt, maybe works, maybe doesn't white magic thing that I referred to in the showdown at the end, um, in ways I didn't expect. I liked the book a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I would be hard pressed to kind of canonize it on a certain like, oh, it's in my top three kings or whatever. But yeah, but I think something I responded to, you know, with creators as who have as lengthy of an output and career as King does, because to be frank, I am pretty uncaught up on his work of the last five to 10 years. Um, you know, I I've got a few of them in the mix just as we've covered stuff, but I'll, I'll, I think I'll frame it this way. Getting into needful things. I thought about Salem's lot. I thought about the stand and, and my impulse was to be harsher because of those two books, which, which wasn't a, they're better. This is not, uh, it wasn't a, a quantify like, uh, um, you know, compare, it wasn't a ranking them as much as it was a like, okay, this is what kind of King does, uh, in his, in his tomes. And the knee jerk in me was to, was to be a bit more critical at that point. However, the longer it went, the more now, again, I don't know how all of you consumed it this time around, but when you're in the like i am when you're in the car a lot it's 17 hour book i listen to it on one and a quarter speed so you know whatever that actually translated to you've just got a lot of time to think about what you're absorbing um because for me it's it, you know it's not i'm not multitasking uh like listening and doing other tasks i'm, I'm just driving and, and listening to it and so what that permitted me was um i'll i'll jump to a question that hasn't been asked yet i watched the movie and thought, oh God, this missed, this missed it. This missed the the mm-hmm. what is interesting to me about the book. And 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 I will totally own King struggles sometimes to land the plane. We, you know, the literary criticism is is riddled with that note about King specifically. Mm-hmm. However, what I do think is fascinating to me is someone of his pedigree, talent, career. Like he's just deeply interested in what happens when you light the match in, in a societal structure, how will people respond? I'm a bit on your side, Blake, insofar as it becomes clear towards the end, oh, you're going to save these few folks, even though I think you're just doing it because you're sentimental about them, which is okay, whatever. That's fine. Yeah. I don't know that the story earns that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm thinking specifically of Ridgewick in the book mm-hmm. like like he he really it it's okay with me to have one or two people ultimately resist gaunt's persuasion you know when it's your three leads by the end I'm like uh, okay you just really like them and i'm okay with yeah. that um but <laughs> I, I guess try, trying to land my own plane here is especially in comparing these two things the the three-hour movie and the 17-hour book and this is always going to happen when you're adapting something so lengthy to something so brief like the majors that get missed are the things that are actually interesting you know which to me is what does it look like to set people against each other what is it you know how and if and when 
do we ever pull out of that skid, you know, and, and what on its face is innocent to one that's deep transgression to the other. So I, I don't know, for me personally, I, I found a lot, a lot to take away from the text, even, even while still being able to acknowledge there are some trappings that he just is about as, as an author. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that's kind of my take of, of the book. Sure. Sure. Ian, had you read this before? What did you think um, about it? I, I read it before um, at an age when I had no business reading uh, stuff like this. And <laughs> it, it was at like 93 to 94, you know, read through. And um, that was the last time that I had uh, lifted this book up. And what I remembered of it was, you know, it's, it's kind of like that, that meme that Andy shared with us, like, Mm, you can have whatever you want here, but if it comes at a terrible price, yeah, I get it. Like, no, 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 but but like, you may be paying more than you realize. Like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, I'll take the thing. Okay, but you'll go to hell. Yeah, okay, give me the thing. Like, <laughs> and yes. what's your point? <laughs> yeah. So, I will, I'm just going to, like, be honest that this, was, this felt like a real slog to me. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not the size of the book, like, I read uh, this book over the summer with Blake that was also quite lengthy and it, it, it's, it's not for me, you know, 700 pages or word count. It uh, just frequently, it was like work a lot of, it, it felt like something I need to clock in to do rather than, you know, like, all right, another chapter of V boys, let's do this. Um, <laughs> which that was a difficult book. That was, that was difficult in terms of like, wait a minute. Okay. I'm supposed to know who these characters are without, uh, in this vignette without having been having had them identified by name yet. I'm supposed to pick up on mannerisms and modes of speech to know like, okay, that's, this is V she, the, she's back in this vignette and this is 30 years ago, you know, in, you're talking uh, you know, about like, this this other text? Is that this, yeah, this other text. Okay. Yes, that that it was that it was more demanding in terms of like paying attention to to the recognize style. this coherent. Uh, I mean, not even quite plot it, because V <laughs> is really more motifs and themes that yeah. you rec that it, it it is that um, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, like all the sure. all the threads, you know, on the push pins you know, connecting. And that's the whole point of, of that book, right? That And that's what the work is. Like, well, shoot, like, that was V also back here in, you know, South Africa. Um, um, and, and yeah, a series of episodes, very episodic. And I'm and I'm only comparing it to, to say uh, that ultimately, it was, uh, it was just difficult for me to buy that what I was reading was happening. I, I just didn't think and like, these in are needful things in needful things. Yeah. Right. I just, I could not believe like these are people doing things. So, hmm. well, can I, can I ask you Ian? because I know, cause I thought about you while I was uh, consider I think about you a lot. Um, but, um, <laughs> while I was, uh, consuming needful things in part because of what I remember of your, your well of affection for Salem's lot and, you know, for, okay. So I, I guess to ask a direct question was your, it's hard to look at the template and not see the same thing, right? Which is that, nefarious. A few days ago, I summed it up as I liked this a lot better when it was called Salem's Lot. 
Okay. Well, yeah, which is, <laughs> which is fair. I think for me, what I was trying to articulate is some empathy towards, okay, he's just kind of interested in this fracturing of, I, of, I, a, I think that, yeah. I think that King like wants to be Thornton Wilder. And I think that if he explored some of these like themes in, I, I feel that I'm more convinced than ever that where he shines is in short stories. Like with sure, a taut, just fair, like right. he follows his premise and we have one, two characters and the like banal action of the everyday is not, uh, he, he's trying to major on that. He's trying to like, give us like, this is what life looks like. And I, I don't think that he is as, as skilled at that as he is in capturing a, a feel, a mood, and then exploring like the implications of it in 20 to 30 or 40 pages or, or, uh, something the length of the body, perhaps. Like, I, I think that is where he is. Uh, it kind of like what I said about James Gunn. Like, I think James Gunn can be great when someone is like telling him like, okay, don't, don't go past here. Okay. <laughs> so if he, like, if Marvel is saying you got to keep this PG 13, Jimmy, you know, then he can do great. But sure. if he's, if, if people tell him do whatever you want, then we get really stupid fare, like the suicide squad. And it's just off the rails it, or George Lucas, right? If someone right. is riding shotgun with him and saying, George, that's kind of, that's kind of stupid. Don't, don't do that. Right. Jake, George, George, I think those are Asian stereotypes. You should probably not do that. No, no, no. It's great. It's great. New gun ray all the way. <laughs> Let him collect um, my taxes. Yeah, like, well, earlier you said it was a thousand generations, George. Now, we'll, we'll explain it later. There'll be more. Yeah, it'll be fine. But <laughs> when he doesn't have someone, I, I'm going I'm going too far with my comparisons. Sure. I think that when King tries to write big novels, the Weeble falls over. Hmm. Uh, so it's interesting. So a couple things. A uh, little, little preface before I share my thoughts on it. So uh, I kind of came into the conversation uh with on a scale out of five feeling about needful things both film and and book at about a three and a half out of out of five oh. so that's that's kind of oh, that's kind of okay. where uh out of yeah. five so about a three and a half so out pretty, of five. pretty heavily uh, mid is what you're saying yeah heavily heavily <laughs> mid. uh okay hearing hearing the descriptions being described and i say this with a full and sincere heart i feel my defense for what i think the book does well rising significantly not merely to be contrarian but for instance to your point ian liked this better when this was called salem's lot i hard disagree hard disagree um because i think the only similarity between salem's lot it the stand any of that uh and needful things is the fact that you're dealing with a multitude of characters who are confronting some some evil thing that has come in that's the, that's where the comparison ends because with salem's lot most especially with it i feel like he presents characters who are already dealing with a tremendous amount of nastiness that is on pretty full display and then he brings in a monster and you kind of quickly get these dividing lines of people who were really sort of awful already but then you get barlow in the middle of it what is different to me about needful things is that Gaunt is pushing them into a direction they would not have gone themselves. I'm not saying the seeds weren't there, but what 
struck me different from Needful Things as opposed to Pennywise, Barlow, Randall Flagg is that Gaunt is specifically pressing on things and leveraging what would otherwise have probably stayed, even by pure civility standards, merely a seed. But then he waters it and cultivates it and draws it forth from them. And that I do think is distinct from so many other times where King presents to us the deterioration of a town. And I responded pretty strongly to that. We'll get we'll probably get to some degree of this in themes, but I responded very strongly to the idea of I am going to give you a thing that is going to help you a lot or you desperately want this thing and it is going to make your life so much better. And the best part about it is that the cost is super, super cheap like that repeated premise to every single patron of the store needful things really resonated with me i am going to give you a thing that you are going to love and i only ask a very little bit from you not realizing that the very little bit being asked of you is utter devastation is and and i actually agree with some of the critiques that have been leveled around some of the characterizations particularly when it gets to some of the ending but i responded i think even more positively to the ending uh, we can we'll, we'll maybe get there with a little bit more intention in a little bit, but as the film progressed, that drum beat kept because of I know I know this is the point where Reed talks about things going on in the world I know but that drum beat of hey it's it's just this little little bit it's just this little thing either free or you just have to do this one little thing and the hooks get in. On, on that notion. With the stand, you're dealing with big major apocalyptic mess. So that's gonna up, you know, that's gonna throw a lot of upheaval in it. Like I said, with Salem's Lot and with it, you're dealing with we are presented with characters who are already beating their family and already abusing and 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 being violent towards people. And you know, now this monster introduces and but Needful Things is filled with a bunch of people who are, you know, with with a couple of exceptions. They're just kind of people. They're just kind of making their way through the world. And they have prejudices and they have hatreds, but they're not like really acting out on their worst base of baser impulses until, and this was the other piece that really stood out to me about needful things, is I, I you you don't even know this person. You're don't I mean, you barely know this person. I just want you to play this prank on this other person. You don't even know them. You like they're nothing to you. So this prank is so harmless. This thing is so inconsequential, and th- and then the way that collectively that that community begins to deteriorate from within because of how much the people felt like they just are doing something innocuous. That again, it doesn't have to resonate with everybody else on this call, but that really resonated with me of how easy it is to embrace what we deem innocuous, not realizing we are ingesting the poison. We are drawing in the thing that to our neighbors and to ourselves is going to steadily unravel us. And uh, and that to me, you know, I again, I really responded pretty, pretty heavily to that, even though, you know, before 20 minutes ago, I'd have been like, yeah, it's too long. (laughs) Like it's it's (laughs) middling in a lot of ways. It's too long. There's some repetitive king cliches, maybe not for nothing. And I think about this sometimes. Times. This was the first novel, the very first novel that Stephen King wrote after complete rehabilitation. 
his entire career. He always had uh, some version of drugs or alcohol in his system, sometimes to a severe degree. Needful Things was the first novel he started writing after he was completely sober and committed to sobriety, which he's uh, at least by reports maintained uh, since then. Um, and And I think he's exploring this concept of as he so often is uh, this concept of okay uh it was it's such a cheap and easy thing to put into my system it's such a cheap and easy thing and i think it makes my world better and i think it makes my life better but then looking at how when you just let that run unbridled it just completely goes off the rails and my critique of the film i actually think the film did a decent job a better job to my memory of it of capturing the high points it very much skirts the surface which bothers me a little bit but uh, of catching the high points of the narrative beat it felt a little preachy at the end uh it was a sermon i was on board for so i didn't mind it as much but it, it did feel a little preachy and kind of pedantic at the end uh and i was really bothered by the the final final beat of the film because i was like okay <laughs> like just, R- remind me all of it uh, so the final, final beat of the theatrical cut, and then we are comparing it to the TV cut. <clears throat> the final, final beat of the theatrical cut is uh, Buster Keaton makes this very big gesture of self-sacrifice to hopefully take Leland Gaunt out, destroys the store, and right. succeeds in blowing up the store. But then Leland Gaunt just sort of marches out and is like, well, uh, this was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> and then just, oh, yeah, yeah, no. yeah. But you have to understand, like, that, that actually wasn't uh, that wasn't him. That was J.T. Walsh in that moment. Like, he was playing J.T. Walsh, and he's like, I'm yes. a badass. Oh. I'm going yes. to save yes. the day. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, and then in the TV cut, it adds one more moment, which I actually kind of like, but uh, it adds one more moment after Leland Gaunt, like, drives away, where, um, uh, like, in the theatrical cut, Leland Gaunt drives away, cut to credits. That is it. Uh, in the TV cut... There's a moment where uh, Polly and Alan share a, a, a romantic beat oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in front of the part. devastated store, and that's pretty much it. Um, so yeah, those are those are my you know foreshadowing thoughts on where my brain is going for all of this needful things phenomenon. But I asked you guys a well, question. I do oh, want to say real quick that that I don't I don't think any of us would would negate that those elements resonate because I think that's I mean that's at the center of the book is exactly what you described it's more of a matter of did he do it effectively and i'm I'm not entirely sure sure he pulled it off um but i think i think those ideas will come up uh yeah later on so that makes sense no 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 that totally makes sense uh just a curious sort of break the ice question even though that you know we're we're already kind of getting into it there is Uh, no ice cream (laughs) (laughs) the ice is is broken nice (laughs) It's breaking. <laughs> Wonderful callback. Um, so, so what would uh, uh, Ian? I'm going to go to you first. What would your what would your needful thing be? What would that thing be that would draw you in and be like, oh crap? Well, now there's this. Yeah, I've been thinking about that since you you know initially asked to, to prep this conversation, and I it's really difficult for me to say because I I don't know what like object could bestow this right i sure. guess yeah i guess it would be like uh something to the effect of uh leland gaunt would have to say now look i can tell you another time how i procured this but i have a letter from your father that outlines mm-hmm. everything yeah yeah 
yeah. how how he got to here. And he wants you to know it's right here. He wants you to know how sorry he is. And he begs you, he begs you to forgive him. And it, I, I think it would have to be like something like that, that would, uh, th- that would somehow, um, objectify or encapsulate like something really needed. Yeah. 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 I get it. No, I totally get it. Uh, Blake, Man, what would your needful thing? My, my bro, eight, 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 <laughs> deep and uh, <laughs> yes. I'm not going to rise to the occasion on this exercise. There, now <laughs> there is, there is, there is no ice. Avengers wow, number no 16. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, since you start, you, you, you broke open the waters. Uh, <laughs> I'll just add on to that by saying, uh, now I, I would say, uh, if he, if he offered a, uh, uh like you said, like there's not a like a material thing. I think he could offer me that. I'd be like, yeah, like I would totally prank someone, prank someone uh, to get that. Like, I'm not exactly. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I would. I, I, I mean, maybe there is that. I'm I'm just not aware of. But I think if he offered like a cure for Alzheimer's or something like that, mm. uh, that would be something I would be okay with possibly punking someone <laughs> you know there we go <laughs> or I love... putting, putting someone on candid camera or some or whatever it may be what you <laughs> yeah, just yeah. did like that you didn't uh, think mean to do is like now you've got in my mind just the modern updated needful things it's just <laughs> an ashton kutcher type like uh, assisting people with punk ooh, and other people ooh, and be like ooh, ooh. boom got him your soul is mine you know it's like that's it be, uh, it how it works you know? and johnny knoxville and yes oh man your soul is mine <laughs> yes yes they turn the camera on you <laughs> as it, as it evaporates from your body <laughs> oh my gosh um it has Nathan. Begun. <laughs> is it <laughs> no i don't want to do this now both of them went so i will but nathan's gonna say i I want a good final star wars movie (laughs) hey man you just you just why don't you take it easy blake all right (laughs) there's the rise of skywalker (laughs) so damn it i'm so superficial um no it's hopefully not that but i was i really was trying to process this and uh uh you know kings y'all will find funny like i texted reed yesterday during the day and it was like hey can you get me those questions because i'm not gonna have a lot of time to think about them <laughs> uh, and you know this morning i woke up to them which is not a criticism of reed it's a, it's a state of the nature of my time uh so i get them this morning and i'm like oh okay i gotta think about this today um so <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, I did the same that's, thing, Nathan. So that's a very Leland Gaunt. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I was trying to think about this. Um, I don't know that I, my adult self, gave quite enough bandwidth to what would be appropriate, especially in light of what Ian and Blake just shared. Um, I will approach the superficial when I came to, but the young me, like I, I, I kind of, I kind of empathized with old Brian Ruskell here, which is not to say I was a baseball card person or fan or collector Though there was a brief moment in time where I did uh tops circa 93, 92, somewhere in there. Mm. 
um that happened but what i wrote down here is is adolescent me had i wandered into needful things and leland gaunt just sort of you know kind of dr strange style made material hey nathan here's here's a copy of giant size x-men number one i knew it (laughs) or alternately i've got written here x-men 94 both for the nerds in the house signature key issues from the legacy lore and publishing run of the x-men i'd have been like (laughs) oh snap what i gotta do what do you need me to do (laughs) (laughs) who sheets i gotta muddy leland you know Uh, (laughs) point me to them um i i think maybe there's a world where because my adult life um i've I've had a number of heavy things and just the the outcomes of them i've learned to live with that i i don't have a you know i I couldn't quite figure out what would be my you know uh, the button that would need to be pushed uh, which i don't know if it says as much about my character as it simply does about my memory um and you know uh capacity there the super stupid one i thought of you know in the in the realm of what wouldn't you want to pay for but would could be tempted by like this is so dumb adult statement here y'all so like you know for 10 years now i've been uh in the kind of ostensibly in the remodeling industry homes that kind of thing and so i we think about home projects a lot we talk about home projects a lot you know what I want on my house, but will never pay for just, although my wife even just recently, she's like, why not? I'm like, cause it's dumb to pay for. And I said, just point me to Leland Gaunt. It's dumb, babe. Okay, it's yeah, dumb. yeah, it's dumb. Okay. <laughs> I, I wish I had a front porch on my house, like an extensive, not like a stoop, a, a front porch, you know, farmhouse style front porch. I love that idea. I love that concept. I love being the idea of sitting on my front porch, and like waving to my neighbors. See, I'm, but see, this is how he get me. That's one, how Leland gets you. Yes, yes. One, uh, uh, Gaunt would be like, really? <laughs> and I'd be like, F you, bro. <laughs> you know? F you, man. You know? It's my <laughs> needful thing. I love in the movie. And by love, I mean it was really dumb in the movie. At the end, when they're like, my Mark Twain! My first edition Mark Twain! And someone was like, it's my needful thing! I was like, okay, you just... <laughs> you did that. Like, in the script... Someone said it's my needful thing, but anyway, yeah, yeah. And he probably said exactly like that. It's my needful thing. (laughs) (laughs) I'd wander into needful things, and Leland Gaunt, I'd be like, "Hey, man, you got any of them porches lying around?" And he'd be like, "Oh, oh, oh, well, (laughs) I've got a blueprint right here, and the contractor's lined up. (laughs) (laughs) No one has a porch lying around." But I got, yeah, I got a question. I got a question. I got a follow up question. It's so stupid. Why Ian's like, stupid? I want reconciliation. Hmm? Why? Why? Why is it stupid? <laughs> I love porches <laughs> like that. I yeah, love yeah. porches like that. Right. And if someone was like, <laughs> yeah. "You ain't got to pay for it. You just got to muddy some." some I mean, sheets. Like, eh, I think about oh, that. I I have a stupid <laughs> answer. Come on, let's be real. Like, <laughs> 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 wow. Ian's like well, reconciliation. Oh, Blake's like actually, you know, actually. Healing. I mean, Nathan has the most likely answer. Like as far as like something might actually happen. <laughs> sure. Blake sure. could be like a cure for Alzheimer's. Leland be like, WTF, my man? Like <laughs> you, you think like, I wow. am? Oh. Go ahead and ask that's for like, a little piece. That's like a needful thing. 
<laughs> what the name of the store is Reed. what's yours um so uh mine's a little bit hard to 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 specifically define or describe but the answer is um uh like a, a the, the answer is home um i have many places that i reside abide and for me my relationships with people like i can feel at home when i'm in certain spaces and sure you know surely you know we've uh, my family has lived in the same apartment for uh you know basically a decade now and uh i still don't have that place that i could call my own I still don't have that place that I could pass down to my son uh, and to, you know, to his family. And um, and then in that same sense, when I visit places where I grew up or places where I spent my childhood, uh, I uh, often feel somewhat disconnected, like they they belong to somebody else. They are of somebody else. And so uh, so when I was thinking about this question, what prompted this question is, as I was reading through the book, I was like, what could he offer me? And honestly, there's plenty of material goods that I would be like intrigued by, but nothing I could connect to that'd be like, oh my God, I have to, I have, to have this. But I could, uh, it, it was funny, the thought came to me kind of as I was drifting to sleep one night, uh, just like if somebody came to me and was just like, this is your home like this this is your home and it's yours and it's yours forever i would be like i would my i would be at peril if that was offered uh malevolently instead of benevolently i would be at real peril um because it is I so think, tempting it's so attractive um so i think yeah. that's yeah go ahead. powerful and real and lovely and you know like yeah tell you what get my porch we'll get ian's yes, letter yes we'll get yes. blake's you know just i don't know sure just okay. sure <laughs> it's mark twain first edition <laughs> and you move in next door and we'll all be mm. the people around us will all be royally screwed because of what we've agreed to but you know we'll be fine yes you know but we'll, just we'll, fat, be, you know? we'll love it but don't yeah, worry we'll everyone love. will remember every bit of it <laughs> 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 oh man oh uh, <laughs> i get it so we can um we can uh we can dive into a, a few more specifics about the book i uh, we're we're ostensibly going to somewhat soon move into that ain't right but i do want to hear from everybody um about a uh a, character if you will that kind of stood out to you this is populated with a an incredible amount of people uh uh many of them do feel sort of on the same wavelength and and maybe to that end are kind of carbon copies of one another but uh i'm curious uh if there's anybody and, and let me see i've started with blake i've started with ian so nathan i'll go to you first um is there a particular character that stood out to you that you're like if for whatever reason maybe frustrating or annoying or maybe notable and and um you know, for any other reason that stood out to you in either the book or the film and why, if you're able to explain it. Yes. I may surprise y'all. And, and whereas Ian went deep quick on what can Leland tempt you with, you know, so while largely I think this cast of characters is, is, is sort of typical King, uh, in the sense that, you know, you've got, I do kind of love, I texted y'all at one point during the book, I kind of love 
this almost like incredulous incredulity of Pangborn of just like what am I being punked? You know, it is just <laughs> constant, like, huh? You know, <laughs> just what is going on in my town? Um, but in a general sense, it's just your your also rans, your misfits, your your. I mean, Ace Merrill enters the story, and while I only learned today that that's the Kiefer character from Stand by Me, um, yes, it is. That, yes, mm-hmm. uh, but when he not knowing that when he entered the just story, you, Ace. <laughs> All I could think was <laughs> Trash Can Man, you know, just the the random misfit that King uses as his henchman. I may I may surprise y'all here and say that I think the character I most uh, who occupies the scene I found most resonant, challenging, tragic, lovely um, is is Sean Rusk. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think whatever path whatever bridge I'm willing to cross closer to a more cynical take on this book got kind of squashed in that scene because what, what you find in the, and, and one of the reasons I think the move in the movie, which really doesn't allow for the breadth, I, I get it. Um, what happens in Brian in the movie being radically different than what happens to Brian in the book, uh, having seen the movie or not, 12 year old kid brian takes his own life because of how how deeply the talons of gaunt have gotten into him uh and his brother his nine i think nine-year-old brother sean bears witness and i mean this is three-fourths four-fifths into the book when alan our lead is visiting this little boy uh in the hospital because his mom is intoxicated by the same poison. His father is absent. The story. I can't remember exactly why he just doesn't show up. And, and Sean has information that Alan needs. And Alan is trying to mentally figure out how to negotiate this information out of this little boy without further harming him. And, and Sean says to him, ultimately he says of, of his brother, Brian, he says to Alan, he says, do you swear in your own name, Brian won't go to hell if I tell you what he made me promise? Yeah. And yeah. to me, this scene in the best of King and the best of literature itself is indicative of what I did ultimately find valuable in this text. And how I wrote it is the whole of the evil that is untruth used to destroy is set against a tiny child's truthfulness. Like if, if good is going to yet come out of the end of this story, it's only by getting this information out of this little boy who is so scared because of not just what he's witnessed, but what he kind of knows and, and this fear and, and I don't know, something deeply moved me about his unwillingness to swear on his mother's name because she's so far gone and he he in his way understands that and 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 what it would be like to be challenged by someone are you willing to in your own name swear that this mm-hmm. is true and what's beautiful to me as silly as i kind of think the white magic thing is i can get on board the idea of it because right there is is the is the metaphor made literal which is Alan isn't telling the truth insofar as his intellectual mind can know. 
but he is telling the truth in so far as goodness can compel him, which is, I don't know the, the hell bound nature or not of this, of this kid's older brother. I do know all I have is the name I'm given and I will guarantee on that, that your words will find value in me and that my words mm-hmm. to you are true. Like that. I don't know. I, I, I like I said, uh, at, at risk of steering us into places we weren't quite ready to go. I just I deeply resonated uh, with that scene. It's really beautiful to me. Yeah. Yeah. I would no, I that. think that's, uh, yeah, I think that's very profound. <clears throat> Blake, uh, what was, uh, what's a character that stood out to you? Uh, I did not like, I, I don't like it when any author does this, um, introduces a character halfway through a story and just automatically assumes that I'm going to, auto, you know, get on board with it. Uh, I do not <laughs> like Ace Merrill. Um, mm, I think mm. that's a real cheap way to get into the story. Um, mm-hmm. I found myself once he was introduced, I think that was the beginning of the end for me. Cause I was like, ah, and you had a long way to go yet. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> halfway like, through. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I, I'm on board with all the characters so far. Like, I, okay, fine. Like, I, yeah, they're, they're kind of one note in some ways, but, but I, okay. I, I was long for the ride. You know, I, I kind of had a grasp on every single one of them. And then this, this guy comes up. It's Maryland. I did not remember he was from, you know, stand by me. Um, the body, Blake. Yeah, mm. but really, let's be honest. Stand by me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and he shows up, and and I'm just expected to like, oh, okay, this guy came in, and 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 he's 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 the guy. He's he's gonna be the the right hand henchman. And I'm like, no, no, you you introduced that fool at the beginning of the book. And make me care about him because I care not. This guy can live or die. I could care less. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I knew where. Um, what's the guy's name? J.T. Walsh put him. Oh, Buster Keaton. Keaton. Dan Buster. Keaton. Yeah, Buster. Yeah. Buster. Yeah. Don't call him um, Buster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you knew the writing on was on the wall of Buster. I mean, yeah. and, and so that's that works for me because he's already corrupted you know, in, in, in a lot of ways, but so the end for him is, is it's writing on the wall, but yeah, halfway through you have this character and I don't really think he adds anything to the book. Hmm. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's a MacGuffin in my mind. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so part of me was like, yeah, like he can you, like make anything out of, objects lying around or like exactly dance dance off bro exactly exactly (laughs) uh yeah so i i really did not like that character Uh, and i'm i'm actually that's the one thing that i think the movie did right was not to have (laughs) yeah (laughs) i wouldn't oh sure go ahead whoever you are well uh mine is just a single sentence i i agree with you i i think that's why he's absent from the film and you don't really miss his character so i'm it was just to affirm that i i feel the same way about that go ahead um maybe (laughs) i just because of the way i consumed this book and and the fact that it it in itself didn't make demands that i was ignoring elsewhere i could Mm -hmm. be more gracious to it sincerely like that that's me copying to that 
I don't disagree at all that the lateness of um <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had a Lord of the Rings quote into my brain. The lateness <laughs> of the hour draws near. <laughs> God is on the move. I don't know what the damn line is. But um like the the how late Merrill enters the book, uh, and I'm 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 contradicting the fact that I couldn't even remember his name after I'd finished it, but I think there's a part of me that can be sympathetic to what I envision. Like we are, we are in a media environment and culture that even as a fan, even as a person who on a general level is a fan of this idea, uh, everything literally points to everything else. But I think my sympathetic self wants to see Ace Merrill as King honoring something that, would have been a surprise and kind of fun to at that point the constant reader again i'm I'm empathetic to your point which is he enters too late to kind of and, and which i don't feel like negates what i'm trying to say but amplifies what you are mm-hmm. um but i can see where to him in the construction of needful things it was like oh here's the curveball they've been waiting for and by the way it's actually this other guy from this other text so i don't know i don't know i guess i'm just trying and to- he's the one who and he's the one who killed them killed the family i mean that's that that's the that's the part for me i'm like eh. but he didn't okay, do like, it. Fine. yeah that's an unreliable he, narrator he didn't yeah, do but, it, but 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 that's i mean is it is it not i mean that's 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 the unre- unreliable element of it we don't actually know who no. killed it but the way it's presented is that's a very that's a very easy MacGuffin to add yeah uh, yeah to the story and so i'm like eh. well i won't take i won't take my Sure, sure. <laughs> I, I'm actually not disagreeing with you about the MacGuffin of it because I feel like what Ace brings to it, they could have done with Keaton mm-hmm. alone, which again the film did. I I will say pretty definitively, one of the things I love, I haven't I haven't gone too far on my uh, appreciation of the ending ending, but I do love that one of the ways that. Leland Gaunt is kind of found out first by Polly and then Alan recognizes it in that Ace Merrill video is the details aren't right. Like the mm-hmm. the details are not coherent to like. So to your point, Nathan, what you were sharing about Sean, it's it's ultimately the hard truth of the matter that unravels Leland Gaunt's illusion. So I think it's pretty definitive that Ace Merrill had nothing to do with the death of of Alan's family because he watches the video and she's got the seatbelt on. And I actually yeah. loved that er- way earlier in the book, he spends an entire time that well, the moment when I was reading it, I was like, why are we spending so much time on the seatbelt? And I thought it was just character exploration. And I thought it was just like, oh, but he was really wrestling with why would she make that choice? Why would she make the choice to take off her seatbelt? Why would she do that? Especially with our son in the car? Why would she make that choice? And that haunted him. And I kind of just viewed it at the moment as oh well this is king fleshing out his character but then in the video at the end and the fact that in the video that he's watching she's wearing the seatbelt and he realized oh gaunt's a liar like this is all a fabrication meant to set me against someone else uh i actually found that really compelling i thought that was i thought that aspect of it was cool it's it's yeah it's funny you say that because actually one of my one of the the few parts towards the end that I really actually was like, okay, this is kind of cool, uh, is his battle over putting the tape in and mm. watching it. I like, and that. it's not it's not even about the discovery of what you know what's going on in the story or anything like that. It's the simple 
the, the the man versus technology like it's it's interesting that he chose the vhs as a means to uh, manipulate reality yeah um yeah and so that's 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 what i found compelling and, and i thought that was a really nicely done scene in the book yeah. Yeah, I would I would agree. Uh, Ian, I'll come to you in a second. I'll I'll, I'll go ahead and rattle mine off because I'll probably be pretty quick about it. My answer to this question is um, I have a tremendous amount of sympathy in this story to towards Nettie Cobb of all things. Um, I feel like she was beset at first by a glaringly abusive husband who, not for nothing, is not in the story because she killed him. Um, that I found, you know, that's not the first time King had explored that kind of paradigm, that kind of dynamic. Um, but then as things continue, she continues to try to find her way. I loved how she responded tenderly to Polly's tenderness towards her. And basically, like she's a character who when is when she is affronted with gentleness and tenderness, responds in kind. And when she is confronted with violence, uh, sees violence as the the next response, uh, which is what happens with the whole, it's the very first big cataclysm of Leland Gaunt's machinations is when she and Wilma Jerzyk kill one another uh, because they've been falsely believed to be at war when they were not even the ones doing the things to each other. Um, and uh, so I, I sympathize a lot with that character's mindset of responding in the way to which they are responded. It's a personal struggle of mine. Uh, not necessarily to the extremities of, you know, certainly like a Nettie Cobb, but Murder. if I am, <laughs> until we push you, but if I am responded to <laughs> with, you know, uh, sharp, harsh aggression, uh, I will have a tendency to respond in kind, even not at my better self. If I, uh, am responded to with gentleness, that is very frequently what you will get from me. And so it's just one of those things that I kind of related to that, sympathized a lot with that character as a result. Um, even though circumstances, of course, wildly, wildly different, but that that's me. Nettie Cobb stood out to me a lot in both the, the book. And I really like Amanda Plummer as an actor. So mm -hmm. in the film, yeah. I thought, uh, she really endowed that character with a lot of vulnerability and, 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 uh, I thought she did really well for her piece of that puzzle. Um, uh, real quick before Ian yeah. goes on the Nettie note, I gotta, yeah. you know, this, this, the, the 700 page text, the three hour, um, you know, kind of TV cut or whatever we're calling it is riddled with you know questionable choices made by questionable people i gotta <laughs> be honest topping that list near the top somewhere in the top 10 at least of you know king's lengthiest books is Nettie cobb taking her dog to a place that serves food <laughs> no ma'am no ma'am get the health department in here cut it down because i saw that i was like no out of here out of here it's a yeah, beautiful dog and Nathan, not, Nathan, yes you and i both listened to the audiobook towards the in the last little bit did you get tired of the way kings kept saying raider whenever he was in kennedy cobb's voice <laughs> it, it was like nails on a chalk right every time he said it's like <laughs> oh there were some fascinating choices on that audiobook <laughs> yeah. ian i preempted you please go sir <laughs> <laughs> i i'm really sorry i am not trying to be snide <laughs> I am I I I just I feel bad. But the truth is, is that there weren't any characters that stood out to me. It's an honest answer. That's all. Yeah, yeah. and that's all that I have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um so no, we will we will take to, that to fight the know. black magic. I can only tell you the truth that <laughs> stood out to me. Thank you, Mr. Gaunt. <laughs> so, so we will So you to, want 
no memorable characters. (laughs) (laughs) In return for that. You shall have Uh, them in abundance. (laughs) So, I mean, so listen, we're bouncing all over the place, all over the freaking map with all the nonsense and all the freaking he's, you know, Ian doesn't even have a character. He's like, there's there's a thousand to choose from. I can't pick one. I can't pick one. (laughs) Not a one. Like, not a one. Um, But, you know, lest we forget. Raider. Yeah, sure. You like Raider. You like Raider. Yes, done, done. I like Raider because he is a dog. He's and, a dog, and and, and he and deserves better. Dogs are great. Um, yeah, but but Get basically, priest, but not know, in lest, a restaurant. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. Lest we forget, we're a horror show. Okay, so if it's gory, if it's gross, if it causes you a fright, it is time, gentlemen, for the part of the show that we call that ain't right. That ain't right. That ain't right. It ain't right. Nothing right about it. That sure as hell ain't right. That sure is. <laughs> that sure is all right. right. I'm going first. <laughs> okay, going first. do it. I'm calling it. Going first. Earned it. Uh, listen, it's really simple. Uh, it's from the movie. Why in the world are you going to show us that dog? I mean, I know it's what happened to the dog. Like, I get it. I get it. But, it's what happened to the dog. But why'd they show it? Why Why did Why did we have to see that? That was a mess. It was nasty. Raider was just. It was what nicely done, though. I mean, I mean, it was a good contraption. Like, yes, makeup effect. <laughs> like the thing is, but I'm just like, good God, Almighty! That really, take too much time to play skinning the dog. Yeah, on, I thought that too, Blake. I was like, was it Hugh in the book who does it? Uh, yeah, he, yeah, it's you know, Hugh. Yeah. and in the film, yeah. quick and That's dirty. All Hugh. Yeah, yeah, he just sticks him. Real good. <laughs> it's just sticks him, wow. leaves him on the kitchen floor for her. It's to just a corkscrew. Right. Yeah, I know. Just, My man in the movie thing. just takes some time. To I know. Like, He's just like get a dog. I know. It's nasty. And like, it's gross. Look it up, saw style. And you know what he did? You know what? If he had had more time, he would have brought that skin dog into a restaurant. That's this disgusting. Is, <laughs> this is nasty. That's like massive, right. massive head wound, Harry, or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And it ain't you right. Are, you are correct, Reed. When yeah. okay, here's a funny story. I fall asleep a lot these days. <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't just then, but I really do. And this is a long <laughs> movie. And and Raider strung up and skint woke me up. I was like, <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> this yes. ain't in the book. <laughs> yes. All in the Red book. Just, did it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Basically, yeah, the dog just gets killed in the book, which is which is bad enough as it is. But what movie am I watching? Lord of mercy! Anyway, Where's my needful thing? They showed this on cable television. They did. Not even cable. It's network. Is this chips? Yeah. Oh my god. Wow. So yes. Wow. Yes. Nathan. Yeah. What, what's your that ain't right? Hmm. At first, I thought it was going to be Wilma and Nettie engaged in. <laughs> I mean, I do love the image of these two just old gals just squaring off in the, in the, in the neighborhood, neighborhood <laughs> cul-de-sac, you know? Uh, it's a West Side uh, Story. They're dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, speaking of Wilma Jerzyk, I got to shout out your girl in the movie. Like, that was some Mr. and Mrs. Tweedy circuit chicken run <laughs> with she and her husband. Like, it was like... <laughs> 
Mr. Gaunt is revolting. Finally, something we agree upon. Um, <laughs> they uh, had real chicken run vibes from those two. Um, <laughs> okay, I think for me, the winner of That Ain't Right is like, hey, when in the book, you got Polly with her, with her you know, kind of eye of Agamotto around her neck. And, but instead of the time stone up in that mofo, you got, <laughs> you got, you got Stephen King's favorite, you know, a spider. No, oh, yeah. Wiggled and jiggled and giggled inside her. And, yeah. and, <laughs> and she, so you got the big climactic scene when she's fighting the spider in the tub, which is just funny now that I say it out loud. But, <laughs> but, she, <laughs> I'm so thankful we're here. You're scared um, of the spider. Yeah. And it keeps growing. And what does she do? It like crawls up her shoulder or something like that. And it, and he describes its spindly hairy leg going up inside her mouth. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she bites the leg of this infernal creature. And I wrote it down. It said juice and black blood running from its body into her mouth you know uh so disgusting my fellas that that ain't right that ain't right <laughs> that ain't right this is nasty that's disgusting i can top that okay oh, I'm, I'm ready. <clears throat> i can top that <clears throat> the, <laughs> with the film adaptations unfathomable decision to make Polly and Gaunt's relationship a sexual yeah. one. Yeah. I will, so weird. I will bite a big spider before I bang Max von Sydow. So that's... <laughs> Ain't no banging. Now I'm not trying and, to bang and, him, and but I will bite a spider. Is that a euphemism? The, the, for, the, like the, the, the foreshadowing <laughs> bit oh towards the, the beginning of it was way worse than the actual scene when it actually happens. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I was like, messed oh. Up. Yeah. Messed up. Ain't right. Nope. Yeah. That was a... Yeah, it was, was a, a choice. choice. <laughs> it was a choice. It was, it was one of the choices of all time. It's really all I could expect from Charlton Heston's son. So choices were made. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Choices. I also were made. just he has don't had really an illustrious career doing what. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Not like a whole lot <laughs> Um, it's also I don't even really get it. I don't. It's just no, no, it goes nowhere. There ain't no. no that's the most <laughs> damning thing you can say too. Like I don't. And <laughs> listen, you know, well done, okay. But I'm like, Is I don't it, get it. You know, <laughs> give me, I'm give me some it. spider bite in action. You know, like, yeah, mm, yeah. Mm, mm, no, thank you, no, thank uh, you. Uh, or the Blake, night of a, the seventh seal. Get us out uh, of both. Get this gaunt out. You guys, I'm land the plane. Yeah, huh? Free bang. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I mean, y'all took all the ones I was going to say, so I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to say his grimy a teeth. Uh, yeah, and, dude. Uh, I mean, yes, it's, 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 it's in the, do it again, right? uh, do it again. I mean, it's so gross. Oh my God. I mean, Ethan has left the frame. The book. It's described in the book, but goodness, I yeah. was. I didn't see that one coming. They so. are like yeah. oily. I mean, neither I've did seen Polly. Some, <laughs> some, some, oh man! And freaking, <laughs> and then the fingernails. But what in the world is he doing when he's sitting by the fireplace? He's like, <laughs> is having some kind of weird. Yeah, there was a there was a lot of Max von Sydow doing this number. <laughs> I know. <with laughs> I love nasty between fingernails. takes. They're like he's just like more fingernails. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
Give me more. Oh, <laughs> more grime on the teeth. God. Yes. <laughs> the, man can't, the man can't talk without spittle, like, forming between his lips because of all the black, oily, nasty they've got on his teeth. That's so gross. Man's, man's biting spiders left and right. No, Polly did. Yeah, Polly did that. Polly did that. He clearly. <laughs> Y'all, I blacked out. <laughs> I could not see. Oh my god! It was like spider blood everywhere. <laughs> I, will, I will say because it was going to be if I wasn't going to have the opportunity to go first, it was going to be my alternate. But uh, there are parts of the book that ruined Elvis for me. Like it really did. I was like, really? Like, uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, it's just way. No, this was a close second. Like it left me. They don't call him. They don't call him the king for nothing. Nope. Hey, they don't. listen. All right then. But listen. Huh. Did you squirm? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Did you wince? Uh-huh. Did you squint your eyes real tight? Probably because of what we round here call <laughs> that ain't right. <laughs> that sure as hell ain't right. <laughs> lord of mercy dude i man instantly thought that's how i should signify this yes like ah ah (laughs) y'all check it like i eat a jalapeno (laughs) (laughs) habanero listeners are gonna be so confused as to what we're all laughing at Oh oh man and they'll um, be like, and someone will come to them and be like, "I will tell you what they're laughing at <laughs> for a price or a needful thing." <laughs> oh, prank on your neighbor. <laughs> so, um, all right. So, I'm going to get this out of the way. Probably not going to. Probably not going to venture too far into <clears throat> into the depths. And I know we'll. You know, I, I don't even know uh, how far we'll go on that particular subject. But a word about the ending. So, listen. I actually don't particularly care for the whole white light thing i don't particularly care for that it's a choice um, but what i liked and i don't really at the moment know a way he could have done it without introducing this whole like white light power as it were but i liked that it was revealed that the character is not merely conjuring special things uh, that Leland Gaunt is not merely conjuring these truly genuine trinkets, but rather he is peddling junk that he makes them believe. It, it, It makes it look to them like it is special. And I liked that at the ending, white light of it all notwithstanding, that he was subverted by an illusion. He was subverted by a cheap magic trick. Um, I thought there was a synchronicity to that, that I appreciated. Uh, the the actually the over the overall supernatural elements of it are the parts that I find kind of the king is kingism of it, uh, where it's just like he's got to introduce this thing to it. But narratively, I appreciated that Leland Gaunt has been peddling illusions, and it is an illusion that kind of subverts and and undermines that. I found that to be uh, uh, appreciatively synchronistic. But I think oh, that how the Susan lazies. <laughs> um, I feel though that again, getting back to something that I said at the beginning, the 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 part of it that I will take away from my experience reading this book and thinking about this, um, this is certainly not the first time that 
a plot like this has been explored. There's a very old Twilight Zone episode called The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street that is basically the needful things concept in miniature in 25 minutes, where which is an external force comes and leverages people's prejudices and their fears to make them turn it's against perfect. each other. What? And it's perfect. That's a it's a it's a brilliant 25, <laughs> 25 minutes of, of television. But um, I responded very strongly, as I said, to some of the highlights that I've already mentioned, that these are seeds of things that are planted in people. They believe that the things they're doing to others is innocuous. They believe that it, it will not cost them very much. And so they embrace this thing because they say the, the value here is tremendous. And I'm getting so sick in this uh in, in in this climate uh that we currently find ourselves with uh the process of valuation is just soul crushing to me like uh how we value our time and how we value our um trinkets and how we value our uh systems and all these different things it really uh is kind of sucking the life out of me to think about the ways that we will try to attach uh, a, a value of some uh, onto something that really is more just commodification um, is really just a matter of, oh, we're saying we're getting the best value or how are we, uh, you know, really uh, squeezing this particular thing out for, for all that it's worth when really it's just cheapening us. It's just cheapening uh, our own uh, sense of self. It's cheapening our sense of neighborliness. It's really just causing us to wither away from the inside and uh, the final button on it. And then I'll shut up and hear everybody else's thoughts on this. The final button on it being that it is revealed to be an illusion. It is revealed to be that it was merely a facade. I suspected while I was reading the book thinking, Oh, this is going to be that Leland Gaunt can materialize these things. And I actually appreciate it. It's like, no, he's not materializing these things. He's taking cheap junk and it is an illusory thing that he has presented to these other people. Um, that resonated a lot with me. And uh, yeah, I'm going to say that. Uh, yeah, we're we're currently living in the the post Gaunt uh, world uh, already. So um, I I totally agree. I, and and I think that's what drew me to the book in the first place was it mm -hmm. had the the trappings of a really interesting social commentary on how we can modify everything. You know whether it's relationships or things or anything and to the point that we value those things that are not valuable over the things that are invaluable <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh which means destroying the planet means you know yes you know destroying families destroying relationships and but hey we've got that really nice car so you know yeah i guess it's a trade-off um yeah, I I found that to be really interesting, but I also really like the concept of there's a ticking time bomb in every single household, in every single neighborhood, of every single town and city in the world. And that all it takes is one small prank to light that fuse. Yeah. I like that idea. I like the fact that that all it takes is Brian Rusk throwing uh, what is it? Chicken shit on, yeah, or it's mud, 
in, in the in the film in the movie in the, yeah, yeah in the, the movie turkey, it's the more turkey poop yeah turkey poop but but yeah in the in the yeah. book i think it's just mud but, mud yeah. so he's he's flinging this on there which largely like we can think of that as just like oh yeah it's annoying and we have to wash the sheets again but it's not gonna like cause me to lose my crap and kill somebody but if if you're already in the right frame of mind with the right inclinations and you're already at nine Mm -hmm. about to teeter at the 10 that could turn the knob up and that that could actually cause those kinds of reactions um i i like that i like that idea that uh small actions that seem largely stupid or irrelevant to us can send others on a path towards destruction yeah and we don't even we won't even know it necessarily Um, yeah brian knows it because he sees what he's wrought um but we don't we don't always see that we we live our lives as if our individual choices are private and they don't affect anyone else (laughs) and that's simply not true even our most private choices affect somebody Um, right and so that's what i like about the the conceit now uh i have qualms about how he kind of you know brings that conceit together and and how he ends it but but i think what he does well is he brings up these ideas really compelling ideas and whether or not he succeeds in the story uh, i appreciate that he brings these ideas up so yeah and i also think the the uh, the concept that it only works because when the wrong is done to them, they have a presupposition, a precondition mm-hmm. of exactly who's responsible for it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so they can't see past what they've already deemed to be, well, this is my enemy. This is my problem. And I mean, we see this in interpersonal relationships. We see it in political dynamics. We see it in, we see it in wars and rumors of wars. And, so. and yes, <laughs> absolutely. And this notion of how easy it is. And that's, that's I think, if there's a frightening element of this book, it is, to me, how easy it is for Gaunt to just flick the the very, very tenuous rhythm that these people have and send them into something. Like, it is so easy for him mm-hmm. to just leverage this. He's got his puzzle pieces all together, so he knows who to send after who, so that it's very, it all seems very innocuous. Um, but I feel that way sometimes about some of the things you hear going on uh in in our lives and worlds around us of just like wow uh this is so fragile that it does not totally matter anybody from outside could come and just press the right button and blame the right people and you will swallow it you will completely be like yes this is what's done to me and it's their fault and and i will uh achieve restitution somehow or if nothing i'll i'll you know anyway I think that's one of the reasons I, you know, uh, explicitly we, uh, as a group have talked over the last years about media formatting, you know, feature film versus television series, that kind of thing. And this is one of the reasons I don't like the movie that much, uh, even though, you know, it's generally lauded as sort of a step above in a general sense is and and why i think there would be value if if a modern telling were to be endeavored upon 
uh, a more serialized long form, yes, you know, kind of version because, because the thing that's hard about, and, and again, empathy towards those who put their hands towards the, the crafting of this thing back in the nineties or whenever it was, is it makes all responsibility. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to say this appropriately. It makes gaunt solely responsible for all of it. Whereas what I actually find pretty interesting and something that I've, that I really, um, as, as, as not totally working as the white magic part is for me, the end, if I like something about it, it's that we need something bigger to write us, Mm -hmm. to center us. And something that I find so haunting about this story is like, and, and, as presented in the novel is it 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 shows us what it looks like when we buy the lie literally that our neighbor is our enemy yeah yeah and there's this really great line laid in it i think it's when alan and polly are pondering oh it's okay i wrote it the context alan is pondering polly's gift and the phrase he uses that King utilizes here is when the disease looks like the cure. Mm-hmm. I think um, Polly, even though I would totally agree that in a general sense, a lot of these are kind of a little bit stock characters and 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 few other than, as I mentioned, Sean, do I emotionally really kind of clock in with. But, but I think Polly is an interesting sort of metaphor as a character, which is sometimes living well means just living with suffering yes Mm -hmm. and how the the illusion that is removal of suffering in total as positive like that is illusion yeah that is yes false falsehood and it's funny because sometimes um you know sometimes even us who i would fancy at least the three of you and and god willing i'm in your number are people who seek true, the true, who, who, who work hard to discern that which is true about themselves, about the world around them, about their, their neighbor and how clouded that view can get under the pretext of, of someone else's truth. And I'm trying not to draw too fine a point here of when gaunt invades our vision, but, but there's so, there's so much, this is why despite some of the early notes of maybe not loving the book. And I don't know that I love the book, but I really found it fascinating watching us, (laughs) not necessarily Blake, Reedy and Nathan, but like, this is us. And, and what, what I think it's unfair to say, well, I'm not sure I'd do that. You better damn well. That's when you are buying the lie from Leland gone. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. You know, when, when you think, well, I would see through this or I wouldn't be tempted by X, you know, which isn't to say, oh, we're all just terrible people that, that <laughs> itself is also buying a lie. I think, I think it's more about like, uh, in this context and metaphor of when, uh, the disease looks like the cure is it takes a mountain of trepidatious cautious thoughtful wise discernment to to not succumb to the Leland Gaunts of the world 
Yeah. And and right. on the one hand, I can castigate those who do succumb. On the other hand, I can utterly empathize with those who do succumb because of how entrancing and easy that would be. Well, if I may, I feel like this is maybe like a good a good point to say what I had wanted to say about um, the illusion point with Gaunt, and I think that that fragility of human being is a good ramp into that because it's it's not. I, I agree. It's not that humans are through and through despicably bad. It, it is that we are intensely vulnerable because we are creatures of desire. Hmm. And what I, what I wanted to get to was to say that I think that it's supposed to be a big twist that what gaunt cells are is actually like illusory. Okay. Yeah. And I think that, ends up being less radical than King means it to be. Um, when we talk about the Mangler, I said that the film, the Mangler was far less radical than the story was because in the movie, the problem is not the conditions of this laundromat It's Oh, it's a bad boss. And if we get rid of that bad boss, then things will be good instead of this is baked into these conditions, like changing it. it it's just the who meet the new boss, same as the old boss. And what I think would be truer, more radical and truer, would be uh, not viewing the illusory nature of the needful things of the shop. But I th that is simply what desire uh, does. Um, I, it is an interesting and usually overlooked fact that when we say we want things, we simply mean it as a synonym for desire. Mm -hmm. But we're saying something truer than we realize because to want is to lack, right? We only desire because we lack. Yeah. And, th and this goes uh, towards the point of how vulnerable and fragile we are. We desire so ravenously because we are creatures that lack. We do not have, there. there is division within us. There's, and, uh, some some kind of emptiness okay and and again i i think it's too easy just to say that emptiness is a uh an altogether bad thing it can be it is corruptible for sure right yeah. but it, it's what we are made to be we are made to not have so that we can receive the illusion that is in desire is that when i get x i will be satisfied mm -hmm. and that never happens um it's certainly under the conditions of capitalism but whatever it is that we think that we want as soon as we get it we find that it is not what we wanted mm -hmm. however much we may enjoy it has not filled us and and this is a psychoanalytic point it 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 goes towards theology i think very clearly it's it's very augustine you know uh, our, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. But even when Augustine says that he does not mean like in this veil of tears, like, ah, I, I belong to Christ and now I am happy all the day, which is bunk. Uh, so long as you are alive as a mortal, you desire. So I, I, I think again, the truer and more radical point would be there is no, uh, if I got that letter, I would not be satisfied. I, I would have a momentary like, oh, I got the I got the thing, but the thing always evades me because there's something 
deeper beyond every iteration of cause of desire that I want more because everything that I want is always a dim reflection of the emptiness within me. And that is why it's so easy to, to capitalize on desire and mobilize it for such tremendous evil and why we are so easily duped. And uh, that's not to say that satisfaction is impossible. It's just that I would say that satisfaction like cannot be about, it can be neither about accumulation and, and that's the point that like anyone could make. I think it's, it's in almost like forfeiting the illusion of if I could have X, whatever it is of, of that more substantial in that more substantial vein, you know, beyond new car. But like, if I could, if I could just have that reconciliation, I would be whole. And it's, it's not, I'm not prescribing fatalism. I am prescribing, uh, a, a like recognition of the symptom and learning to live with the symptom. There's a Kafka short story where this mouse says the world was huge. Um, but you know, it's been getting narrower ever since. And I see walls on the left and on the right. And you know, there's this trap in the corner and the cat says, Oh, well here, just run this way. But the cat intends to eat the mouse. And the proper read on that story is like, well, what the mouse needs to do is stop running. He, he can't really like, he has two directions and either will be fatal. The solution is to stop running, which in the moment of living is what always sounds impossible to any of us to stop chasing after whatever the thing is that, that, that turns out to be illusory. Can Can I throw a thought in there, Ian? Yeah. Um, so something that uh, occurred to me while wrapping up the book and I thought about earlier, but feels super relevant right now is to your point about, you know, what would have been radical or not. Like, you know how uh, Marvel movies get accused, rightly so, generally speaking of, oh, all you did was build to the big climax and the 3D battle between, you know, the monsters and the people, you know, like there's the giant CGI showdown. Um, right. So there's a world where I can forgive the fact that uh what i saw clearly coming at the end of this text was alan showdown with ace and or alan showdown with gaunt okay i can i can just sort of reconcile myself to that this is the nature of the story that um king is not going to let himself off the hook to change however what i saw as opportunity that got deeply missed in the end and 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 who knows a a, a a counterpoint might be well then you've just made alan too much of a, a knight of a figure you know too too good uh and true however reed you made this point earlier and i found the the line i was looking for very early in the book there's a line that said the rock has always been one of the good places uh so mm-hmm. like it, it is in fact set upon in this case by an external force but something i kept hoping for as the story neared the point of Alan's conflict uh, at the end was him resisting the tape, him choosing ignorance Mm -hmm. in order to move forward like that in the same way that the, 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 the disease can look like the cure. Like I, I wished because because then suddenly you've got an interesting counterpoint in he and Polly. They 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 are no longer purely uh 
you know, the romantic interests of this particular story. They suddenly become those who have chosen. I choose suffering in the form of Polly. I choose ignorance. I choose lack. Yeah. Yes. And and yes. that's what I was really, honestly, as I was finishing up the story, I was like, man, that'd be so good if that's what happened here. Uh, and and as he's watching the tape, I was like, oh well, whatever. And and it's fine, whatever. It's fine. It's fine. It's a it's a it's a blockbuster story being told. But that to me is where the fascinating, interesting, elevated part of what could have been would have come from. I completely the, the that that please read that into what I'm saying because. Given the the logic, the mechanics of needful things, and the structure of desire, what? How perfect is it that Alan finds the thing that he wants? <laughs> he finds the the right answer. It, again, I'm not saying there are not right answers. I'm saying the solution to suffering. Like, oh, it's this, and now all will be well. How how true and radical would it be for him? to defy like no i'm i'm not going to buy this and i do not i whatever you offer me like i keep it i don't need it uh to you will sell me whatever i tell you that i want uh and i will not be shocked when you are able to procure whatever it is that i want so no thank you that that absolutely is a piece of um my uh critique thank you i'll see myself out (laughs) (laughs) and that's what i what i would say um and i'll and i'll conclude my thoughts with this is that is uh it's been alluded to already but you know king kind of saves the characters that he likes right the reason that i think the shining is a better film than novel is because jack torrance completely spirals and is not by Dozex machina saved because king wants him to right that that is king's desire inflecting this story and defying its logic i think Mm -hmm. and uh i think that what whatever i can say about desire inflecting the characters in the story i think that king's desire for his characters uh impacts the novel in ways that show you weren't you weren't willing to allow the logic that has been set up to roll out the ways but you didn't follow the rules right and, well, basically and I, I think what you're saying is he saw alan pangborn and he said that's my needful thing yes <laughs> right yeah 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 i need jack torrance to redeem himself because that's me that's my I needful thing to be good yes and uh <laughs> It's it's the same way that like I I look a little less fondly now on House on Haunted Hill because at the end I think that the logic of this shows you whatever you want and I think that well we know we do know that the ending was revised and I think that it was a pullback from like yeah but I don't want them to suffer too hmm. and I think that's a critical loss when. When we flinch like that in, in, in the face of the, the suffering logic in the story that we set up, um, that's what I would say. Well, I think, I, I think fundamentally, and, uh, this, this may, this may be my 
final statement on the on the the book, but it's it's more a statement about King. I think fundamentally he can't help but still believe in people. And what's what's wild about it is I feel like whether or not that makes him uh you know a, a crafter of satisfying endings i think most would say his endings are probably one of his his weaker elements of his material it is yeah he can't i think that still fundamentally uh sits at like he he still believes there's hope for us now that's a big broad statement but that's why in so many even more fatalistic of his stories You'll still have an uptick at the end, either by one character or something, uh, something else. I mean, I think it's it's uh, uh, vital to realize that the ending of the mist, the film, is not his ending. That's Darabont's ending. You know, that's not the way King ended his story. Um, King has a really, really hard time walking away saying, "Yes, this was all like just completely brutalized." Um, he wants to infuse this this sliver of of hope that there is hope for us yet. And I will be honest. Perhaps ending on a somewhat cynical note, I am thankful uh, that his voice still has that because, uh, honestly, for all of our talk about what a stronger and I, it, th- this is me resonating with, it probably would be a stronger story if it all went completely downhill. Um, but that is hard for me seeing how similar so many things around us are. And realizing, like, would I say that about us? <laughs> would I say that about, like, yeah, the fitting end for all of the things that we see here is apocalyptic devastation and hell. And I'm thankful that there's at least uh, a, a kernel that says, eh, th- there's a little bit of hope in us yet. There's a little bit of hope in this yet for myself. Yeah, I, I would say that, that, that there's, I'm thankful that he holds out hope. I just wish his hope was hard fought. Um, it's fair. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, fair. That it's, it's a hope that's gone through the, the, the purifying fire of suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he likes suffering. No, I mean, of course no one does, but, but he, he doesn't see the, the redemptive element of what that means mm-hmm. for people. Uh, and, and I think that's where, I constantly find myself kind of backing away from what he perceives as hope is it's not to me. It feels kind of cheap. It feels like not how hope actually shows up. Mm, Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And where you're in a pile of vomit on the floor nearing death and you wake up and you see life new. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's a hard fought hope, you know, or coming out of dark night of the soul, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. Like there, there are infinite ways to, to view hope through the trials of suffering. And I just never really get the sense. He likes that. Uh, yeah. Understandably. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's not like any of us like suffering or, or no. those trials, but, but the hope that is found on the other side of those trials, I, th- I think is so significantly more valuable and more mm-hmm. totalizing to cynicism mm-hmm. um, and in so many ways. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Ian. And I just, I just want to like this, this will be my final thought here and I'll bring it full circle with something that Nathan uh, brought up a couple minutes ago. 
I'm not advocating nihilism. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm um, in harmony with what, what Blake was saying. Um, what I'm saying is um, the necessity of uh, sacrifice is, is how, uh, yes, like I am, I'm all for hope. It needs to be like warranted, grounded hope. That is not the hope of, I didn't study it all this semester. Hope I get an A on that test tomorrow because that's not a, <laughs> that's not a hope worth calling hope. That's mm. wishful thinking. Hope has to emerge from something that like, like has the capability of delivering. Yeah. And what what King characters and people in real life evidence time and time again is like we are vulnerable, prone to illusion, and um, it, it, again, like we are not rotten through and through it's just that we are self-undermining mm, constantly mm-hmm. okay yeah yeah so hope has to come uh we tap into it but we are conduits of hope because we uh if my hope is in me getting this thing right i don't have a ground for hope yeah and i i have to tap into a source of hope and sometimes that is going to call for sacrifice so look yes People get some people, not a lot of people, but some people get tired of Marvel movies ending with like the clobber them up. You know, um, it's it's uh, it's Mormon time. Um, but there is a <laughs> there is a reason. Uh, I'm just going to put one final stone into the gauntlet here, <laughs> and there is a reason that the Infinity Saga ends with Tony Stark sacrificing himself because yeah, it is not enough yeah. to uh put enough fists into enough aliens faces it it requires the freedom of one person saying i i will lay down my life and that is a worthy exchange for this and that that is substantive hope that requires looking death in the eye and saying i can pay this which is definitely not a leland gaunt transaction um no. And that is what that is more what I'm advocating. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. the calculus of this ends with death. So I'm going to subvert that calculus with the thing that is demanded, but it'll be mine. Yeah. And that's what's going to get us out of this. Yeah, we definitely you go ahead, Nathan. Well, I I feel like now it, it, it can't be overlooked that in a general sense, I think y'all were less favorable to the the novel itself but i i feel like blake as you were talking i don't think it's the best character in the world that's not the point i'm about to try to make here Mm -hmm. but i think polly speaks to what you're after and and what i wish was king had chosen to let alan then double down which is going to prove the point that i'm trying to make here like she has a line late in the text where she says i can love you and love life and bear the pain all at the same time. Like she wills herself into, I'm cognizant of what releasing the gaunt gift will do to me. And and so again, how, how poetically or not that lands, I still think her character in the text uh, is, is a, at least thing we can point to as. Oh yeah, for sure. yeah, Yeah. 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 And uh, back to, uh, I fully agree with that. Um, and back to Ian's point, like we don't want wishful thinking and we sure don't want needful thinking because that is, 
<laughs> that is too much. Um, listen, uh, this has been a great conversation. I think uh, what's what's fascinating to me is that we did not spend, and this is probably warranted, we didn't spend a ton of time on the particulars of the movie, uh, which, you know, sucks. It, it's, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say it sucks, but, um, but yeah, I mean, we didn't spend particular. I'm, I'm actually glad that we spent, uh, a, a lot more time discussing particulars that were present within the book. That, that makes me happy. I didn't expect the conversation. The movie that gives way, me but athlete's I, face. <laughs> and that's a, wow. Wow. That's a, that's a lot i did love um, and the movie is a final note on the movie or maybe final note is like i love how evident all of the dubbing is of the cuss words it's oh, hilarious yes. it that's is wild it's the tv cut yeah well, so right. no no i know well, i'm, I'm, I'm yes ending going on here yeah. i'm yes ending you because those right. same scenes that still exist in the theatrical version yeah very different um but uh yeah that is one thing we didn't even dive into like just the the theatrical version and the TV version, if you watch them both in concert or near proximity to each other, yeah, it's really interesting. The TV version, like if you thought the the three hour TV cut is truncated, like cut most of that quieter character stuff out and just plot, 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 plot for can, two hours. You can go the... tell Gaunt to fudge himself. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> I was like, get that so, dog out of that restaurant. Come so, on, man. So listen, we're gonna do this. You know uh, that that classic main accent. Yes, yes. Uh, we're it's gonna my needful thing. <laughs> we are, so that I can get you guys home, we are going to we're do this as quickly as possible. We're, we're trying to get you home. home right? Yeah, I know. Um, we're going to do this as quickly as possible. We are going to letter? go to the uh, the fog meter on needful things, uh, our very specific metric of fear and God, where we rate not the material on its quality, but on its heft, its gravity, what it asks of us as the reader. So uh, whichever version of the film you saw, whether that be theatrical or TV cut or uh, and the film, we're going to rate both of those and give both of those a fog meter. So, uh, Nathan, I'm going to start with you. Why don't you, for time's sake, go ahead and give your fear and your God measurement for both the book and the film? Give me all your numbers. I'm brain to shut off. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh for the movie my fear is a um i mean you know old max is doing his thing um and <laughs> i'll give the film a two uh i i did not find it scary i'll frame it this way all the things that i actually thought were resonant about the book felt absent uh in the movie as evidenced by the wildly long car chase at the front that amounted to absolutely nothing uh and then when when alan and leland meet each other at like the 15 minute mark i was like oh you missed the point um uh, so what did i say a two for fear uh two, on yeah. substance you know it at least is named needful things and on a most high level surface uh acknowledges it's something having to do with the the devilish transactions we make um so uh, three four substance of the movie um for the book i mean you know it, it's it's 90s early 90s king it's got some creepy aspects to it i think the 
um the the web that gets played out across this town over the course of it is is kind of the primary fear driver for me so i'm going to land at a six for the fear factor um just because of the the oppressive nature of that aspect by the end of it uh substance i think um i'm going to also do a six for the book i i, I like what i got out of it and i don't think it, that was unintentional it's 700 pages like I, I, yeah you know there's a lot that he's trying to transmit in the 700 pages and i think i got a little bit of it so yeah understood double, double understood. twos double sixes <laughs> all right ian coming to you next uh same deal as nathan give me your fear and god measurement for both the book and the movie the movie gets ones on both and the book mm-hmm. gets threes on both all right to the point blake same deal um <clears throat> So I saw the TV cut. Um, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it slightly higher than Nathan with a three, simply for the skin dog. And yeah. I actually found the, the the final showdown between Wilma and Nettie to be way more effective than the book, simply because in the book I could not help but see West Side Story in my head, uh, the way he was describing it in his voice was there's gonna be a needful thing tonight exactly exactly that's i couldn't help but but hear it in my head um so i'm gonna give it three um for uh for fear uh i'm gonna give it one for god mm-hmm. uh, look i think i Wait, think no, the, the, the movie, movie. The movie. Okay. one for god uh i i think it's not even a terribly insightful adaptation like it doesn't even do anything interesting contra uh king and so uh yeah yeah i'm gonna give it a one uh for the book i'll say i there's enough fodder in the book to clearly we we went off on some really interesting themes and, and some really interesting discussion so i think there's enough going on in the book that i'll give it a five for god mm-hmm. and the fear the fear didn't work as well for me like i i think back to the to the twilight zone uh that you mentioned earlier read and yeah. mm-hmm. that has stuck with me way more than this book i think will um and so there's something effective about it where this book wasn't as effective sure but i'll give it a i'll give it a five okay. for god all right um bring it all home uh for the movie so i uh, i think i'm the only one of this quartet that did this i i did reacquaint myself with the both the television cut and the theatrical cut i will say the Good Lord. the the theatrical cut what now that the television cut exists i don't think the theatrical cut is even worth anybody's time it's not even worth anybody's two hours if you want to see this film see the television cut because it is the better version of what this does unless you really have to have all the foul language uh that they badly I mean, overdubbed for I the mean, TV I cut. do. <laughs> so well then there there's your two hours um so uh but no not not terribly creepy uh not really very scary except conceptually so i'm actually going to land at a, a a three on the fear measurement and for the substance of it i think the substance it has it gleans entirely from the book and uh i, I think the book does it better so i'm actually gonna uh give it a four on that front 
uh, as well. But the book, I resonated uh, with more uh, than I think any of the four of us did. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll lead with the God meter on the book. For the God meter on the book, I'm going to give it a seven. Um, I really, the fact that he was toying with these things in 1991, and uh, regardless of the powers of his execution, these things uh, you look, you know, 30 years later and they are uh, rampant and they have taken on new form, but they are still all very present. Uh, I think, I think you got to give some, some credit there uh, just for his uh, um, observations about human nature uh, to that end. But I also agree that the fear factor of it is really only conceptual. Uh, so I'm probably only going to give it a, a five on that measurement. And that means that uh, we'll start with the movie first. We give the movie a two out of ten on uh, the old fog meter. Uh, one of the lowest we've given a film in quite some time. Uh, the book ranks a bit higher. We give the book a five out of ten on the fog meter. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that I think that pretty accurately sums up what what it the kind of thing it asks of you, except a lot more of your time. Um, so. The other question, round robbing, round robining, really oh, quickly. Whoa. Yeah, there it was. Um, Get those hands out of my pocket, sir. Do we recommend it? Uh, I'm going to start with Ian. Ian, do you recommend either the book or movie? You had to start with me. No, I did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Quickest, fastest answer. So no. Um, nose on both. Blake, do you recommend the book or the movie? I would. I would say no, simply on time investment alone. Mm. Understood. Nathan, yeah. do you recommend the book or the movie? Um not the movie. Um yeah, which is a shame. I, I actually went into it kind of hopeful. Um I came out of it <laughs> cynical. Um <laughs> I liked the book. Uh I I think if you've got, you know, 17 hours in the car, uh it's a worthwhile way to use that time. Um and and uh, even that slight joking aside, um I can't think of King books I've read that I was like, you know, wouldn't do that again. Uh, but this, this definitely does. <laughs> yeah, I, rec <laughs> I recommend the book. I liked it and and found it interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, it, neither of these are uh, full hearted recommendations. Um, I wish the book was shorter because what because I enjoyed the book a lot. So I wish the book was shorter so that I could more heartily recommend it. Um, it is, it is very lengthy. Uh, I do think there's some merit in him detailing out, uh, distinctly the way these things can insidiously develop over time, as opposed to a big snap that, that happens. Uh, and I think the length presents that, uh, that, that you spend a lot of time with these characters so you can feel more appropriately how the development of these animosities happen. Um, but I do recommend the book, uh, but just be braced that it's very lengthy. If you are interested in this story uh, and don't mind a very superficial rendering of it, then you can watch the television cut of the film. You'll get basically the same story, but without a lot of the depth. So that's my version of recommendation for Needful Things. Um, so thank you all very much for spending your time with us we really appreciate it uh ian blake thank you so much nathan thank you as always what's our next quarterly king gonna be 
So I don't know. We're not going to litigate that right here, but I can't tell you what next week's episode is going to be. So next week's episode, we're going to dive right into the holidays. Um, happy horror days, if you will. Um, and we are going to be visiting a string of uh, very aggressive holiday fare. And we are starting with last year's release. Violent Night, starring David Harbour of Stranger Things fame. So join us next week. Of Hellboy fame. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, Yeah, uh, we all saw Black Widow. But basically, uh, join (laughs) us next week for uh, Violent Night. And as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Thank you, everybody. We will see you all next week be horror day be horror day the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways start by visiting the fear of god podcast.com for links to our social media and episode archive essays merchandise and more If you love what we do, consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash the fear of God podcast, where you will unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online events, and so much more. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of tracermatula.com for our artwork. Our assortment of talented musicians, Andrew Nelson, the Island family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes. And to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music. Special thank you also to Tyler Smith at morethanonelesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hi, everybody. <laughs>